Welcome back, everyone, to the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo and Joe Resinello. Oh, you're exactly right, Joe. We work for the man upstairs as you do. You're setting me up quite well. You just gave me an alley-oop. The greatest revolutionary act you can commit right now is to open your mouth and speak the truth. Whether you're an academic or you're a regular guy, we have to be fearless. And once more, dear brothers and sisters, let us go into the breach. Hello again, everyone, and welcome back to the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo, as always, joined by Joe Resinello. And once more, dear brothers and sisters, let us go into the breach on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network, 1350 on your AM dial, serving the New York metropolitan area. Please be sure to download the Veritas Catholic Radio Network mobile app so that you could have access to all of our station's content. And please, if you, if you would, uh, find Joe and I on YouTube in particular at the Frontline TV. We just passed uh, 60,000 subscribers, and we're trying to really push that forward to make our social media presence more felt. So the Frontline TV, you'll see our two ugly mugs. Like, subscribe, share, do all that fun stuff. And today... We are very pleased and honored to be joined by John Martignoni. Now, a lot of you probably know John. John's been all around the country. He's on social media, okay? He's making it happen. He's doing evangelization. But for those of you who don't, I want to give a brief introduction. And we will be discussing John's new book, Blue Collar Apologetics. We love it because we're blue collar guys. Blue Collar Apologetics, how to explain and defend Catholic teaching using common sense, simple logic, and the Bible. Now, John Martignoni is the founder and president of the Bible Christian Society, an apologetics and evangelization apostolate that reaches hundreds of thousands of people each year across the U.S. and throughout the world with the truths of the Catholic faith. For 17 years, he hosted EWTN Radio's Open Line, which was heard on hundreds of stations around the country, and he's founded and run Catholic radio stations in Alabama. He has a regular e-newsletter, Apologetics for the Masses, that has more than 40,000 subscribers in all 50 states and in more than 80 countries around the world. He's currently the Director of Evangelization for the Diocese of Birmingham in Alabama. Now, this is what Dr. Scott Hahn, professor of biblical theology at the University of Steubenville, had to say about blue-collar apologetics. Quote, this is an important book for the new evangelization. It's stocked with real answers to real questions. The language and approach are just right, highly recommended. Close quote. John Martignoni, welcome to the front line with Joe and Joe. Gentlemen, it's good to be on with you. I appreciate the uh, the opportunity to share this time with you guys and your audience. Thank you, Excellent, John. excellent. Let's just start with a prayer, because all good things start with a prayer. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who sought your help or sought your intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, we fly into you, a virgin of virgins, our mother. To you we come, before you we stand, sinful and sorrowful. Well, Mother, the Word incarnate, despise not our petitions, but in your clemency, hear and answer us. Amen. St. Dominic. Pray for us. Pray for us. John, in doing some research uh, for the interview, I heard you say uh, that you your family came from Chicago. You moved down to Alabama. We talked before the show. You grew up in Huntsville. Now, you're Catholic. Now, as, as we know, I mean, in the South, there's not a lot of Catholics. I, I, I've traveled through it. Um, and at a time, you weren't a practicing Catholic. What, could you tell us a little bit about what brought you back uh, to become a practicing Catholic, especially where you're at? I'm sure it was challenging. Well, um, basically, you know, I grew up Catholic, was baptized as a baby in first communion, first confession in second grade. I was confirmed in fourth grade, but I grew up right after Vatican II and all kinds of stuff was going on with Catholic education and all that after Vatican II and things got a little turned upside down and in the Catholic church here in the U.S. And, and basically, I never learned my faith growing up. So when I was 18, I tell people, I went to the University of Alabama, and when I stepped onto the campus, I stepped right out of the church. And essentially, for 13 years, lived what I call a, a world-class heathen lifestyle. Um, came back to the church because I, you know, I got my degree in finance, got an MBA, got out, was working in the defense industry in Huntsville as a cost analyst. 
and and something just wasn't right. There was something missing in my life. So I thought, you know, well, I'll go back to school and get a PhD in finance. And instead of working for these yahoos in the defense industry, doing this crazy stuff, I'll teach at a, at a university. And so I went to the University of North Carolina in Chapel Hill. And the very first day I was on campus, this was a week before classes started, I was assigned, I was a graduate assistant. So I was teaching some classes. So I was assigned a, an office. It was this huge room they called the bullpen. We had 13 people in there. Everybody just grabbed a desk at random. So I grabbed my desk. It was up against a bookcase. All these books that past PhD students had left, finance, economics, statistics, and so forth. So I'm literally standing on the desk, starting at the top, going down, looking, okay, this book would be helpful in this class, this book in this class. Well, the desk covered the bottom two shelves. So I was curious what was on. So I pushed the desk out. It was one of these 1940s solid oak desks. I mean, it weighed a ton. And I push it out enough, a couple feet, and there's only one book on these bottom two shelves. And remember, all the rest of these books are hardback textbooks and econ, business, finance, etc. This one little thin paperback book covered with a layer of dust like this thick. It must have been there for years. Scrape the dust off. I look at the cover. It's called The Normal Christian Life by a Chinese preacher. I think he was Methodist named Watchman Nee. I was curious, so I took it home and read it. The whole book is about 120 pages, was on the letter of Paul to the Romans. I was like, I'd never seen anything like this before. So I thought, well, you know, that was pretty good. Maybe I'll get another one of these Christian books. So I went down to the student bookstore, and it was one of the best stock bookstores I've ever been in. And, and I just walked into the Christian section, not looking for anything in particular, and I see this title that catches my eye. It's called Mere Christianity, mm. C.S. Lewis. It's all about Christian apologetics. Read that, took that home, read it, and I was hooked. And I kept going back. I got more C.S. Lewis, and I got tired of C.S. Lewis after three or four books. I looked for something else, and there's this other book that catches my eye. It's called The Confessions, some guy named St. Augustine. You know, and so I read that. I read... Uh, Thomas Akempis, The Imitation of Christ. They had Fulton Sheen books. They had uh, St. Francis de Sales books in this bookstore on campus. And so I'm reading all these books on, on religion and spirituality this year, my PhD program, not reading as much economics and finance. So at the end of the year, I said, I've, I've had it with the PhD program, didn't really like it, but I came back into the church. And then a couple things happened, and, and I ended up in Birmingham, and um, I'm at a bank, working at a bank. People always ask me, well, why do Catholics do this? Why do Catholics do that? Because like you said, we're 3 to 4% Catholic here in Alabama. And I'm like, well, why are you asking me these questions? And they're like, well, John, you're a Catholic. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> oh, yeah, okay, that makes sense. <clears throat> but I didn't have answers. So I went down to the bookstore. This was before the catechism had come out, early 90s. Went down to the bookstore and asked him, I said, is there a book, any book, that tells me why Catholics do what they do? And the woman literally walked up and down the aisle for 20 minutes and came back and said, no, we don't have a book like that. I was like, oh, my gosh. She goes, but I heard this tape was really good. She hands me this cassette tape. Well, I grew up, my dad's a PhD in chemistry. When I, when I was six years old, I asked him a question, and he pointed to this line of books on the shelf. He said, son, you see those books? That's the World Book Encyclopedia. Go look it up. So I've always been a researcher my entire life. So I don't want to listen to a tape. I want a book I can underline, highlight. But I, I take the tape. Oh, thank you. And I put it in my car. You know, I get in my car, and I put the tape in. Well, it's Scott Hahn's conversion story. That was like pouring gasoline on smoldering embers. Here's this. Presbyterian minister who converts to the Catholic church because of the Bible for crying out loud. And so I just started getting all the Scott Hahn stuff I could, uh, you know, teaching myself about the faith, about apologetics. Then the catechism came out and reading the Bible and slowly got to where I am now, where it just, but uh, it was more, it really wasn't difficult coming into the faith, but it was difficult once I identified myself as Catholic to other people, and they started asking me all these questions. But that actually was an impetus for me to go and learn my faith truly for the first time. 
You're listening to The Frontline with Joe and Joe, Joe Pasillo and Joe Resinello. We're being joined by John Martignoni, Blue Collar Apologetics is his book, How to Explain and Defend Catholic Teaching Using Common Sense, Simple Logic, and the Bible. John, I got to ask you, 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 you were talking... Um, we were talking. We were talking about, like, let's say, uh, you be, obviously presenting the faith to non-Catholics. So at one time, you did it. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. A Catholic apologetic show on a non-Catholic radio station in Alabama. Would you say Catholics are about what four percent in, in, in Alabama? Yeah, I mean, that's kind of going into the lions. Then, no disrespect to our Protestant brothers and sisters in Alabama. Okay, but tell us about that. How did that? How did that come about? What? What? More importantly, did you learn? Um, from that experience and what were you able to convey to probably a, 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 obviously a largely Protestant audience? Well, that came about because one day I was driving in my car and I was going from my office to the post office. It was about a five minute drive. And at that time I was listening to the Scott Hahn stuff, all, you know, Scott Hahn, all these things and learning the faith. But in five minutes, you can't get a whole lot from Scott Hahn. Cause if you've ever listened to it that back when it was cassette tapes, you had to keep rewinding every couple of minutes. I, what did he say? Rewind. What? Uh, oh, okay. Now I got it. Well, so I said, I'm just going to listen to some music. Well, I, you know, I'm a child of the sixties and seventies. So I'm a rock and roll, rock and roll is my, my thing. So I had five stations programmed in on my radio. Every single one of them had a commercial on it. I said, well, you know, this Christian station in town, the Christian music's getting better. So I tune into the Christian, they've got talk radio on. So as I'm pulling into the post office, literally park the car, open the door, turning the key in the ignition, and I hear the phrase, the whore of Babylon come from the radio. <laughs> I'm like, oh, wait a minute. They didn't do that. Yeah, you because know, that's a code word in, in Protestantville for the Catholic Church. Okay. From Revelation 17, it talks about the whore, the harlot of Babylon. So I tune it back, I turn the car back on real quick, and I listen. Sure enough, they're saying the end time religious political system that the Antichrist will use to take over the world is the Catholic Church, the harlot of Babylon, Revelation. I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't believe they went there. So I get back to the office a little while later. I call the station to complain. You need to let a Catholic come on. And I didn't mean this Catholic. I figured I could find somebody. Well, one thing led to another, and I wound up on their afternoon show, they had a live show every afternoon talking about the Catholic faith. And this is the largest evangelical radio station in the state of Alabama. Well, their phones lit up. Here's a Catholic on evangelical radio. Everybody's, I mean, it was just crazy. Well. Did you feel a little bit overwhelmed? Well, sort of, but it, but it, it, was, it was manageable. Okay. Um, the next day, a Catholic called me who was connected, what well, very well connected family. They lived in Mountain Brook. We talked about Mountain Brook before the program. And um, he said, John, I will buy the airtime if you'll do a show like that on the radio. And I said, no, ridiculous. I don't know my faith well enough. I don't, I've never done radio other than that one thing. He said, and he said, just pray about it. I said, no, I'm not going to pray about it. I said, this is so ridiculous. If God wants it to happen, he's going to have to make it happen. Well, over the next six months, some really weird spine tingling things happen that I'm like, okay, God, I think you want me to do this show. So I end up getting the show and it was just, it, it was such a blessing because I had Catholics calling in saying, thank you for doing this. You know, because this station is always playing anti-Catholic stuff. So thank But I had not Catholics calling. Some of them were angry. The very first call I ever got, this guy, he's screaming at me, you are an abomination. What is a Catholic doing on a Christian radio station? You know, and, but after he called, six, seven, eight Protestants called to apologize for him. Mm. You know, and I say, look, we love our Catholic brothers and sisters, you know, this and that. And, and so I learned that there was a desire for among Protestants to know more about Catholic faith, but there's also a desire among Catholics to hear their faith expounded and to, to be encouraged in their faith. And so I did that show for a year that led to me talking at places all over the country and EWTN and, and now I'm, 
now the pinnacle of oh, my oh yeah <laughs> i am on the front line, line. joe and joe come on man you listen you know you made it when you're on the front line with Joe I and know. Joe. Lord have mercy. John, it's Lord, funny. Lord, I, Joe, Lord have mercy is right. I, I have I have actually did, I have done that too. A friend of mine left the church and he went to a non-denominational church and I used to go to the, the Bible study and I used to try to basically, you know, a lot of errors, people think, misconceptions, yes. and I used to go there. And one thing I learned from that and this, you know, I, I'm not going to say I don't have a PhD. I always say I have a PhD in common sense, but I have read a lot about the faith and I have a pretty decent working man's knowledge of it. When you do know your faith, because it's the truth, the truth is irrefutable. Like, like the, the truth is like a lion. You just let it out. It defends itself. When you know the faith and people put things forth, to be honest with you, you just crush it. But here's that you do, because here's the thing. It's the truth. But this is what I want to this is why I tell that story is one of your techniques. And, and I, I think it's a winning approach. You say it's not about the argument. It's about planting a seed. You see, it's very easy. Pride sneaks in there. And I've had that with myself because, again, I do I do know the faith. I've read the catechism. I've read the, the lives of the saints. I've read many books. You could almost be like, listen, dude, you're wrong. I know you're wrong, and I'm going to make you look like a fool. But that's not what it's about. It's about planting a seed. Talk about your approach because I think that's the winning ticket. Yeah, what I tell Catholics because I, I have – all the time I get emails or calls from people or talking to people and they say, you know, how do I convert my brother or how do I, how do I convert my, my husband or, or, or whatever. And I'm like, you don't convert anybody. The Holy spirit converts the hearts and minds of, of men and women, not you, not me. I say, your job is to throw seeds out there like, like the sower and the seeds. And some of the seed is going to land among the briars and the brambles, some on the hard beaten path but some of it's going to land on good soil. And then that's where you pray to the Holy Spirit to make that seed grow and bear fruit. That's it. So, so relieve yourself as a Catholic of the burden that you have to convert anybody. Your job is to, to, to sow those seeds, to get those seeds out there. And it's, it's so easy to do. I, I talk about how Catholics are so easily pulled out of the faith by somebody sowing a seed like uh They'll say, you know, what do you Catholics call your priest? The Catholic will say, Father. They said, well, you know, in, in Matthew 23, verse 9, it says, call no man on earth your father. So the Catholic Church is teaching you something contrary to the Bible, contrary to the word of God. And the Catholic who doesn't know any better goes, oh, my. Hmm. Well, and that's the first step towards the door. You know, well, it's just that easy for Catholics to do the same, to bring people back. And to bring people closer to and sometimes into the Catholic Church who've never been Catholic. You just ask a question. You throw out a seed. You, you have an answer to, you know, well, why do you Catholics worship Mary? Well, actually, we don't worship Mary. Well, you, you pray to her. Well, actually, no, we ask her to pray for us. Do you ever ask someone to pray for you when you're sick or you've got a tough situation? Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, that's what we do with Mary. We ask her to pray for us because she's a member of the body of Christ, just like you can ask members of the body of Christ. And they go, oh, okay. Never thought of it that way. So you've dispelled a myth. You've, you've corrected a mis misconception and you've planted a seed. Mm. And it's just, that's what it's about. It's about planting seeds. It's like you said, Joe, it's not about winning arguments. It's not about making people feel bad anything like that. It's about planting the seed and then letting the Holy Spirit do what he's supposed to do. Absolutely. Absolutely. John Martignoni joining the front line with Joe and Joe on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network. It's funny, just to, real quick. Um, I remember because I took the opposite approach. And again, I shouldn't have. And in hindsight, it was something that I, I, I really regret with a family member who I really love. I tr have tremendous love for who's an evangelical Christian. OK, and I did the opposite of what you guys are talking about. This is a few years ago. And I was like filibustering and I was like trying to make points. And it was about me winning the argument. I almost lost a friend. 
You know what I mean? Like, like, or, or alienated that person in some way. And I remember the next time I saw that person, I apologized profusely because it was a wrong approach. And I juxtapose that with what you guys are talking about. A buddy of mine who knows I'm Catholic, who's evangelical, a buddy of mine at work, he likes to throw digs. All right. So now I go the opposite. I do what you guys do now. So like, it's like the dude came up to me and he said, Hey, Joe, he's Spanish. He's Hispanic. He goes, hey, Joe, where, where do you find the Pope and the Bible? And it's like clockwork. It's just, I just went, you know, thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. And I walked away. And I know he had a perplexed look on his face. I was like, that's a seed. That's one of the seeds you guys Absolutely. are talking about. You know, you know, was, because, okay, he, as again, because I know that Joe wanted to ask about, you know, uh, catechesis in the Catholic Church. That was something where he didn't expect that answer. And not because I'm brilliant, but because it's just there. And I heard it from guys like John Martignoni and others, you know, thou art Peter and upon this rock, I will build my church. And I know that that somehow, some way is going to, is going to stay in that guy's head. And yes. he's going to think, he's going to think about that. That I think, like you said, is the proper approach. Like Mike Aquilina told Joe and I on the show, when we had him on, he says, got to make friends with people. You don't want to, you don't want to alienate people we just speak the truth and we're and we're friends with people all right and let god do the rest joe with that i'm going to hand it over to you you know it's funny i pride myself I, i'm an auditor uh by trade and i pride myself on my research of the folks that come on the show and i did not know that you were in a phd program which says to me that you're a pretty smart guy <laughs> clearly um you know i'm not trying to just like flatter you but you are period and the reason why i bring that up is your book, Blue Collar Apologetics. And your approach is clear and simple. That's the language of Christ, clear and simple. And Joe and I, we get a lot of real smart people on the show. Joe and I, like I always say, we have PhDs in common sense. We're not, you know, we're not St. Augustine, but we're not Joseph Cupertino either. We're somewhere in the middle. And, but what we do is we take what smart people say and we bring it down to the level of normal people because we're normal. And that's what you're doing, John. And that is, again, an effective approach. You know, sometimes people bring put forth these esoteric ideas. Esoteric means understood by few, for those who may not know. Fancy ideas. Well, that's not who the disciples were. I always say they were common men speaking common sense and speaking the truth. That's what you do. And that's why I think you're effective. Talk about that, because I think, you know, just because you're smart doesn't mean you got to wear it on your sleeve. Well, you know, like I said, uh, God has blessed me with an innate amount of intelligence. It's because you're Italian, John. Half <laughs> Italian, half Polish. And, and, and but my dad, like he had a Ph.D. in chemistry and for him, education, it was education, education. So. I just thought, and I had this, this pride in me as a kid that I wanted to be the best. So I, I wanted to be the best at sports. I wanted to be the best in, in, in uh, academics. I wanted to be the best. And so I studied my tail off when I was a kid in, in school and I made the, the grades, straight A's, occasional B here and there. But so yes, God, God gave me, blessed me with this innate amount of intelligence. But when it comes to theology and philosophy, that stuff doesn't click with me in a natural way. And so I listened to Scott Hahn and I told you, I had to rewind Scott Hahn on the cassette tape several times every few minutes because I'm like, well, what did he say? What is that? And I, I could understand him and I was soaking it up, but I couldn't repeat what he was doing. So I'm like, what you said, I had to break it down into things that I could understand. I had to put it into words that I could understand and come up with my own language, my own way of explaining things so that I could not only understand it myself, but so I could explain it to others. And that's why I say, that's why the, the subtitle of the book is how to explain and defend Catholic teaching using common sense, simple logic in the Bible. Logic is the thing that has always been uh, one of the key motivators in, 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 in my, uh, uh, intellectual pursuits, because I remember, you know, most kids when they when they're kids, they have some sports hero or, or actor or something as their, is their, that's their hero. My hero as a child was Mr. Spock from Star Trek. I remember <laughs> when I was like nine or 10 years old, my dad said something to me one time and I looked at him. I said, that's, I said, dad, that's not very logical. And, and he looked at me like, 
Okay, first his thought is, okay, back of the hand, son. You know? <laughs> he's Italian. And, and, uh, and then, he, but he's, then he's looking at me like, where'd you get that? I said, it's just not very logical, dad. You have to be like Mr. Spock. You know, and he's, he just kind of laughed. But so logic, I have to go from step one to step two to step three to step four. I can't do like a lot of people do, who, you know, the smarter people, they go from step one to step five. And then they'll jump to step 13 and they mm -hmm. no problem for that. That's a problem for me. So when I explain something, I have to have first understood it. One, two, three, four, five. So I put it out that way. And I've had people tell me, I've had moms tell me their nine-year-old kids are using my materials to evangelize their nine-year-old playmates. But then I've had great grandmas tell me that, you know, for 50 years, this one woman wrote me, she said, I've had this dear friend who's a Baptist. And over the 50 years, she has time and time again, pinged me about the Catholic church. And she's asked me questions I couldn't answer. She goes, I got hold of your stuff, John. And I started learning and I started being able to answer her questions and not only answer her questions, but ask her some questions. And she said, and now she doesn't ask me questions anymore. You know, and then I've had, I just, recently had a guy who's got a PhD in chemistry at a university in, in the state of Washington. He's gotten hold of myself. He's like, I've never seen stuff like this before. So it's for everybody. It, it's children can understand it, but it's not childish. It's for everybody from eight to 108, no matter what your level of education, male, female, it doesn't matter. You can understand and use this stuff. John, let me ask you this. I want to. I want you to continue. We have about three minutes before the break. Continue along those lines about um, the current state of uh, Catholic, uh, the level of Catholic understanding, ca the, the knowledge that Catholic, the average Catholic has of the things you're talking about, of the faith, of Scripture. Where do you see us right now? Why is it important for Catholics not only to know what the Church teaches, but to understand why it teaches that? I think that that's important. So if you take about three minutes, just break that down for us, will you? Well. Most Catholics, I say, understand what the church teaches. Catholics know the church teaches abortion is wrong, uh, contraception is wrong, that, oh, Jim can't marry Jerry and, and Lisa can't marry Marie. You know, they know the church teaches, but they don't know why. Mm -hmm. So when you're asked a question about why and you don't know the answer, then you just kind of think, well, this is just sort of arbitrary. The church is just kind of making things up, they, you know, or they'll they'll listen to people. Well, your church is hatred. It's it, it's a bunch of haters. It's these old white men in Rome, and they they don't understand the world today. And you buy into that because you don't know why the church teaches what it does, or when it comes to the Eucharist, or why do I need to go to confession to a priest instead of going straight to God? Why? Well, if you don't know why, you can't number one defend it and you can't really explain it to yourself or to others. And that means that if you don't know why, that somebody can lead you straight out of the church because you don't mm. know why. And my thing for the last 50, 60 years or so, Catholic education, a few exceptions, but for the most part has been substandard in terms of educating kids in the faith and, and adults in the faith. And it's starting to change and it's getting better, but we've got a long way to go and, and you know, it's just things like your show, the podcast, the Catholic radio, EWTN, if people watch that, those types of things are helping Catholics learn more and more, but we still have a, a long way to go. We do, like like you said, John, we, we all just have to do, you know, what we have to do, get it out there. We, we say in the show all the time, John, you know, everybody wants to be successful in what they do and everything else, but at the end of the day, Joe and I say, it ain't about clicks, it ain't about views, it ain't about subscribers. It's if we say something that converts one soul, one, okay, we've done our job. We said that three years ago when we started this, okay? If we fail miserably on the surface, but we converted or helped to convert one person, we've done our job. We've Absolutely. done our job. We got to take a break, John, but real quick before we go, I want you to just tell people again the name of the book, where to buy it, and where else to find you in social media and everything else. The book is Blue Collar Apologetics. You can find it on EWTN's religious catalog website, EWTNRC.com, and you just type in Blue Collar. Um, you can get my stuff, most of my stuff, almost all of my stuff for 
free at BibleChristianSociety.com. Not the book, because I have to pay for that, but BibleChristianSociety.com. I've got 28, 29 talks on various apologetics topics, doing with the faith. They're free on CD if you still have a CD player in your car, but you can also download them absolutely free. And then I've got this this uh, uh, newsletter, Apologetics for the Masses. I've got over 400 issues that are archived on the site. If you read through several of those, you'll be getting a, a very good education in your faith. Excellent. You're listening to The Frontline with Joe and Joe with John Martignoni. Stick around. We'll be right back. Listen to all five of our original Veritas shows. Every Wednesday at noon, you can catch Let Me Be Frank, where Bishop Frank Caggiano talks about spirituality, church news, and fun stories from his Brooklyn childhood and his life. You can hear The Frontline with Joe and Joe every Tuesday and Thursday at noon. Their guests include the biggest names in the Catholic world, and Joe and Joe talks to them from the perspective of the everyday Catholic. Thursday nights at 8 o'clock, tune in for the only late-night talk show on Catholic media anywhere. It's Not That Late with Liv Harrison. And at noon on Friday is Restless. It's four millennials talking about, well, life as millennials in today's crazy world. Yes, it's possible to be young and Catholic. Right after that, at 12.30, you can hear the focus on Veritas, where we put the focus on good works and the good people doing those works. Those are the five Veritas shows, and there's more on the way. Stay up to date at VeritasCatholic.com or on the mobile app. Welcome back, everyone, to the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo, Joe Resinello. And we have John Martignoni talking about his new book, Blue Collar Apologetics, How to Explain and Defend Catholic Teaching Using Common Sense, Simple Logic, and the Bible. With that, I'm handing it over to Joe Resinello. John, in the book, and obviously we encourage all our listeners to go out and buy it, you introduce some techniques, four techniques that allow the listen, uh, the reader to basically talk to anyone, anyone about the faith. Could you kind of walk us through that? Because I think it's very important. People like to hear like steps, and you talked about that you're very good at laying steps out. I'm one of those people too. Could you please do that for us? Sure, Joe. Four steps. And what I tell people, I say, look, I, even if you don't know where Genesis is in the Bible, you get my stuff, you go through it, and I can teach you how to talk Bible to the head of a Baptist seminary, okay? That's how easy this is. And it's, again, common sense, simple logic, and then you can throw in the Bible too as you learn more and more about the Bible. But the four strategies I teach people, the first one is one that gets you can get you out of any kind of difficulty whatsoever. I call it the ignorant Catholic strategy. And all that is, is if someone asks you a question about the Bible, for example, if someone were to say, Joe, you're Catholic, let me ask you a question. Where in the Bible does it say anything about purgatory? Most Catholics, because guess what? The word purgatory isn't in the Bible. And most Catholics would just go, uh, Mm, uh, oh, look what time it is. I think my mom's calling me, you know, or, and, and take off. Uh, look for an excuse to get out. But no, you don't do that. With the ignorant Catholic strategy, all you have to do is say, you know, that's a really good question. I've never thought about that before. So I, can, I don't know the answer, but I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to go and find out an answer and I'll get back to you. Well, boom, you're out of a jam. You just, you were honest, sincere, and you were humble and you told them it, it's very reasonable. I don't know the answer, but I'm going to find out and get back to you. And then let me tell you, there is an answer for every question about the every rational question about the Catholic faith. There is an answer out there. You just need to go find it. So ignorant Catholic, not being afraid to admit you don't know something about your faith, but promising that you will find out and get back to it. And then you get back to them when you are ready. You can send them an email. You can send them a link to an article. You can talk to them in person, over, however you want to do it. But now the ball is in your court, and the, the momentum is now on your side 
because you've prepared and you've gotten ready to go and answer this question. So that's the ignorant Catholic strategy. The second strategy is how to be offensive without being offensive. You don't want to offend people like we've been talking. You don't want to beat somebody over the head with the Bible or the catechism and make them feel bad. When our, you want them to come back for more. You don't want their defensive walls to go up. So you don't want to be offensive if you can uh, avoid it. But you also don't want to just be on the defensive. Catholics all the time in talking with Protestants or, or even atheists and materialists, is the, the Protestants will say, where in the Bible is, is infant baptism? Where in the Bible is the Immaculate Conception? Where in the Bible is purgatory? Where in the Bible is this? Where in the Bible is that? Catholics are always on the defensive. Well, we need to learn how to go on the offensive to make the other guy examine what he believes and why he believes it as much as he's trying to get us to do that. So, for example, uh, and, and, oh, and the way you be offensive without being offensive is simply learning how to ask questions. That's it. You're being a mm -hmm. good student. And an example, you know, where in the Bible does it say anything about Mary being assumed body and soul into heaven? Huh, you know, good question. Well, let me ask you this. Where in the Bible does it say she wasn't? That's a legitimate response. Sure. You know? And nowhere does the Bible say Mary was never assumed body and soul into heaven. Doesn't say it. So you've now put the onus back on them. No, you're asking me? Well, I'm asking you. And then if, as, as you learn a little bit about the Bible, you say, well, in Revelation 12, there's this woman in heaven. She's got a body and she's the mother of the male child who is to rule all nations with a rod of iron. Who do you think that is? So again, by asking questions, you can go on the offense without being offensive. The third strategy is it's the principle of the thing. And this does involve a little more Bible knowledge, but it's nothing that you need a degree in theology to do. And for example, where is purgatory in the Bible? Well, again, like I said, the word purgatory isn't in the Bible, but the concept of purgatory is in a number of places in the Bible. For example, 1 Corinthians 3 verses 11 through 15 talks about this, that after you die and you're being judged, your works will be tested. The works that you did while alive will be tested as through fire. And if you did some uh, not so good works, they could be burned up and you could suffer loss as through fire, yet still be saved. Mm. So you ask the question, well, where is it that after you die, your works can be tested and you can suffer loss as through fire, yet still be saved? Is it hell? Well, you suffer loss as through fire and hell, but you don't get saved. You never get out of hell. So it can't be hell. Is it heaven? Well, you don't suffer loss as through fire in heaven. You know, the Bible tells us God dries up all of our tears. All of our pains and sorrows are taken away in heaven. So it's not heaven. It's not hell. So there must be this other place where after you die, you can go to have your works tested and suffer loss as through fire, yet still be saved. That would be that New Jersey, John. What's that? That would be New That'd Jersey. Be New Jersey. New Jersey. <laughs> you know? and, and that would be purgatory. Well, <laughs> yes, uh, it is. <laughs> so, uh, but, so there's this other place. Call it whatever you want, Mr. Baptist or even, we call it purgatory. Uh, and, and, you know, in Hebrews 12, verses what, 22, 23, talks about coming to Mount, the heavenly Mount Zion, to the God who is God over all, to the festal gathering of angels, and to the souls of the just made perfect. Whoa, stop. The souls of the just. We would say the souls of those who died in a state of grace. The souls of the just made perfect. There must be some process by which the souls of the just are made perfect. It doesn't say their bodies. It says their souls. So this is right. after they die. Well, again, you call that process whatever you want, Mr. Protestant. We call it purgatory. purgatory. So the concept of purgatory, the principles of purgatory are in the Bible. You just have to learn how to pull them out. And it's not too difficult. And then the last strategy is what I call the Catholic's ace in the hole. Because you're using Protestant theology and turning it around on the Protestant. The, the last strategy I call, but that's my interpretation. Hmm. The The closest thing to a universal doctrine in Protestantism 
is sola scriptura, going by the Bible alone. Every Protestant I've ever met, and I've, I've talked with a few thousand over the last 20 years or so, every single one of them believes in sola scriptura, going by the Bible alone. None of this tradition stuff, none of this church councils, no pope, nothing. Bible, Bible. If it's in the Bible, I believe it. If it's not in the Bible, I don't believe it. A corollary of that is that every person who can read has the um, opportunity, has, has really, they would say, the responsibility to pick up the Bible and read it for themselves to decide for themselves. Each individual deciding for themselves what is good Christian doctrine or what is true Christian doctrine and what is false Christian doctrine. Every individual gets to decide these things based on their interpretations of the Bible under Protestant theology. So I tell the Catholics, I say, you go in and you say, well, let's talk about John 6 verses 51 to 58. This is my, you know, my, my, you must eat my body and drink my blood to have life within you. My body is real food. My blood is real drink. Eat my body. Drink my blood. Jesus says over and over. And the Catholic says, well, he's talking about the Eucharist. And the Protestant says, whoa, no, that's a bad interpretation. That's, that's wrong. The Catholic says, wait a minute. Don't you believe everyone can pick up the Bible and read for themselves to come to their own understanding of what the Bible means? And the Protestant has to, if they're honest, they have to say, well, yeah. Well, that's my interpretation. So the Protestant can tell you they disagree with your interpretation, but by their theology, you have the right to your interpretation. So that's they right. Tell you, they can't tell you it's wrong. So the worst you can do as a Catholic, talking to a Protestant, if you remember this one strategy, when, when you talk about the Bible, theology, the worst you can do is, in a sense, is a tie, because under Protestant theology, it's their fallible interpretation of scripture versus mm -hmm. your fallible interpretation of scripture. Yeah. And, and, but on the flip side, under Catholic theology, I, I talked to the pastor of a, of a Bible church one time. And I, I said that to him. I said, pastor, at the beginning here, after he had given me some interpretations of scripture, I said, can we agree that the best you can do under your theology is, is your fallible interpretation of scripture versus my fallible interpretation of scripture? He'd never considered that before, ever. I could see it in his eyes. And he, and he, he didn't really like it, but he, he begrudgingly admitted, well, you know, and he kind of changed the subject. A few minutes later, I came back, and I was giving him some Catholic interpretation of Scripture. He said, wait a minute, John. He said, you said the best you can do is your interpretation versus my interpretation. I said, no, Pastor. I said, that's the best you can do. I said, the best that I can do is the infallible teaching of the church founded by Jesus Christ and guided by the Holy Spirit versus your fallible interpretation. Mm -hmm. well, it's funny, John. It's funny, John. It's, it's one of those things where, you know, like you said, you want to do things respectfully, but sometimes you, you want to kind of push back a little bit because not in a bad way, because like say pastors who get up there and say, well, I'm speaking to you now. I've heard a pastor say this. I'm speaking to you now, you know, no filters and no authority. You know, I'm just speaking from my heart. And he gets up there and he talks about, I think it was Aeneas and Sapphira. Okay. And I wanted to, but my wife prevented me from being the troublemaker that I wanted to be in this particular setting. Thank, thank God for my wife. Okay. But I wanted to ask him, are you saying that authoritatively pastor? Did yeah. you just tell the congregation of about 500 people that were there, okay, were you interpreting that passage of Scripture, that story in Scripture, authoritatively? And, right. and, like, and like I said, a lot, of, a lot of our Protestant brothers and sisters, you don't have to say, you don't even have to, you could say it with a smile on your face, okay, because well, you know that they're not going to be able to answer that. Yeah, here's what I tell people. I say, look, because quite often people will get on to me, if you've ever read my newsletter, I'm blunt, I'm just straight. I'm in your face, honest. But I don't, I don't say anything to someone that Jesus didn't say to someone. And the worst I'll ever do is I'll call somebody a liar or a hypocrite, basically. But that's only after they have proven and I have shown, well, you just lied. Or you just said, this is good for you, but it's not good for me. Or it's good mm -hmm. for me, but not for you. So then I say, that's being very hypocritical. So people say, oh, well, you're not being very Christ-like to them, John. They'll email me. I'll say, have you ever read Matthew 23? 
Jesus says, liars, brood of vipers, children of hell, he calls people. You know, he, he just rips into the scribes and Pharisees. And then there's other times with his apostles. And there's other times with just the common folk where you can see him almost, you can almost see him looking up and rolling his eyes like, Father, really? What have you, you put me here with all these yahoos, you know? And, and, and it's just like, so I tell people, I said, when you tell somebody the truth, be prepared for them to get upset with you <laughs> because the truth Jesus tells is a two-edged sword. It cuts to the marrow. And St. Augustine said, people love the truth when it shines brightly on them and they hate it when it goes against what they want to do. You know? And so I always tell people, I say, if you're going to evangelize, be prepared for people to be angry with you, no matter how kind you are, no matter how respectful you are. Cause I asked you, I said, I'll, I'll ask somebody, I'll say, can you be more loving than Jesus? And they'll say, no. I said, look what they did to him. Mm -hmm. I said, can you respect someone's personhood, their humanity more than Jesus? No, look what they did to him. So I tell them, don't expect better than what Jesus got. John so, Martignoni. Go ahead. John, we, 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 we have a limited, <clears throat> excuse me, this is a fascinating conversation. John Bartagnoni joining the front line with Joe and Joe, uh, talking about his new book, Blue Collar Apologetics, How to Explain and Defend Catholic Teaching Using Common Sense, Simple Logic in the Bible on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network, 1350 on your AM dial. John, I want to hand it over to Joe. We got a couple more questions we want to get into because we think we're important, but I will say this. My favorite, use it for lack of a better word, my favorite aspect of the Catholic faith is that it forces me to have to look at the truth of myself and it's ugly at times, all right, because we're all sinful people, okay? But that, I think, is is one of the main reasons I'm Catholic is that I look in the mirror and I don't delude myself about myself. The church teaches me, be honest with yourself and the truth of yourself. And that's, I think, how how you grow. But I want to leave that there. I know we want to get to a couple more things. Joe Resinello. We talked a lot about Protestants. Um, we talked about basically sowing seeds. Um, it's not about us. It's it's about sowing seeds. Let's talk a little bit about the misconceptions that Catholics hold. And there's a lot of them. Um, I taught RCIA uh, for a period of time, and I encountered it. Even some of the people who taught the class, um, ideas, primacy of conscience. Uh, I can go on, and I can go on. I can go on. Um, I, again, I work in a legal capacity. I believe if it's written down, that's what it is. In the Catholic Church, what I always say, it's painting by numbers. It's written down. Read it. Read it. Let's talk about Vatican II. Um, I've heard you mention this in uh, an interview with Mitch Packwell, and I want to touch on this because I think it's very important. Father Mitch is a brilliant guy. You're a smart guy. Vatican II says a lot of things, but it's interpreted in a lot of different ways. And sadly, the interpretation has been grasped by many Catholics in America, and they believe that's what it's it actually says in the documents, and that's caused trouble. And we've seen the, the bad fruit of that trouble. I mean, it's, it's undeniable. We talked to Ralph Martin. I mean, it clearly, the spirit of Vatican II, it, it's, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. It doesn't bear fruit. And it's, I judge things. I say this to my brother all the time who's not in the church. Don't listen to what people say, Matt. Watch what they do. Talk about what's in the documents of Vatican II versus what people say that's in those documents. Well, that's when I was first back in the church and in, in the church for a year, maybe two, when I landed in Birmingham. I got involved with a Bible study at the parish I was going to here in Birmingham. And the, I was my early 30s and probably the next youngest person was about 55 so they're 20 25 30 years older than me all these folks and i kept hearing people say well vatican ii changed that or vatican ii changed this or vatican II, what was you know various over the over a few month period and um i, I finally said you know vatican ii changed i need to read vatican ii so i went and bought the the book the documents of vatican ii and i started reading and i realized i said Vatican II didn't change anything in regards to doctrine and dogma. May have changed some practices of the church, but it's it's things that uh, are not doctrinal in nature, or dogmatic in nature. So the next time I go to Bible study and somebody says, well, something about the priesthood, they say, well, Vatican II changed that. I said, no, it didn't. And it was like, 
Everybody goes, <gasps> how dare you? You know, I, I said, it did. I said, have you read the documents? Nobody had read the documents. They were just going by what they had heard. Vatican II, like you said, the actual documents, just they maintain the traditions and the teachings of the church, and they've been passed down to us for 2,000 years. Maybe they put them in new language in, in some instances and, and bring them more uh, up to date in terms of helping people to understand, well, what has the church been teaching? Doesn't change any of the church's teachings. None, zero, zip, nada, not a single one is changed in terms of doctrine and dogma and morals. So, you know, when I started realizing this and started telling people, uh, I'm like you, that's like, <coughs> excuse me, this is one of the biggest problems after Vatican II is people who have the so-called spirit of Vatican II. Well, the spirit of Vatican II has nothing to do with the actual text and writings and documents and teachings of Vatican II. So if you ever hear somebody talking about the spirit of Vatican II, run the other way. Uh, it makes me itch. When I hear yeah. that, I uh, that yeah. makes me itch. <clears throat> but one of the things I would say, though, John, very, very quickly, one of the things I would say is this. If you have it now, I have not read all the documents of Vatican II. That's why I have a very measured approach. Most of the times I listen to people who have and know what's going on with Vatican II. Okay. As soon as somebody on either end, whether it's somebody who thinks that we should just, you know, we 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 have this new spirit in the church and it's ecumenism and blah, blah, blah. And we just listen to Vatican II and to heck with Trent and Florence and everything else. Okay. Or the opposite that says Vatican II be damned. My first question is going to be, did you read the documents? And if right. the answer is no, if the answer is no from either party, I'm running for the hills again. I've listened to a lot of people talk about Vatican II because, quite frankly, I want to know more about it. I want, I want to immerse myself in it. But if you haven't read the documents and gotten down and dirty and sat there and read them all, Nostra Aetate, all of them, okay, then stop offering your opinion as though you got something to say because you don't. You don't. Right. And that's for Catholics out there. I had so many people telling me, the, the spirit of Vatican II, people telling me that, well, you know, I would say something. They, well, John, that's pre-Vatican II. Well, John, that's pre-Vatican II. I, finally, I said, do you realize that Jesus is pre-Vatican II? <laughs> you know, the Bible is pre-Vatican II? And then, like you said, there's people who say, well, Vatican II wasn't a real church council. It, it, it didn't do this. It didn't do, you know, or, or it did all these things that it didn't actually do, uh, negative things. I said, and I'm like, have you read the documents? No, it didn't do any of that. It didn't right. change anything. So uh, I, I'm exactly the same place. It's, look, it's the teaching of the church. The council was confirmed by the Pope. And if you think it's not really a church council, well, then maybe you ought to re-examine yourself as a Catholic because you're not following what the church is teaching. But, uh, yeah, it, it's um, Vatican II, I think, is, is probably like what's happened with other councils in the church. It's going to just take time, decades, for it all to truly become a part of, of the Catholic landscape and for us to truly uh, get it, you know, get it right as Catholics. Because I think you're right about that, John. I it, think, I there's think you're nothing right. in it that, that, that's contrary to the Catholic faith, as has been taught for 2,000 years. I, I will say this, because I, I think Joe wants to get into maybe a little bit of atheism, but I, I, I will say this. I wish, I pray. That because uh, that because we seem to be so, what would you call it, polemical on on Vatican II? Okay, <laughs> then I wish there was, let's say, a larger conversation within the church about misconceptions about this and that. I think that would go a long way to clarify a lot of things. But but by officially by the church, let's get down and dirty. Let's talk about what Vatican II actually teaches and what it doesn't. We pray for that to happen. But Joe, I'm going to hand it over to you. Well, obviously, I mean, the culture we're in now, the woke culture is, uh, it's a secular humanist culture. People are, what do they, what do they call themselves? Nuns. They have no Nuns. religion. And not um, NUN either. You know, that's on the rise. Uh, Catholic numbers are on the decline. People don't go to church, sadly. They don't see the need to go to church. Big mistake, in my view. Um, I'm, I'm an Italian from New Jersey. I need the church, trust me. Uh, What's it called? Let's talk about defending ourselves against these woke ideologies. I mean, clearly, uh, marriage is under attack. Gender, 
is, is being challenged um, in public schools, rich and poor across the country. All of these are clearly um, anti-God. How do we present ourselves in the public square as Catholics against these ideas? John, uh, John, just to give you a heads up, we have about five minutes. Take your time. This is something that, you know, obviously very important. You're at the front line with Joe and Joe, Joe Pasillo, Joe Racinello with John Martignoni. So, yeah, John, I really want to know about that. We got about four and a half, five minutes left. All right. What I, what, number one, when I'm talking with atheists, and, and if you ever get into a, one of these, uh, what they call them, comments boxes, com boxes on an atheist website, and you identify yourself as a Christian, uh, be prepared for the onslaught. <laughs> because it can get nasty in a hurry. And I'm talking about piling on, ganging up on, on the Christian, the poor, ignorant, stupid, Neanderthal Christian. And, and not all, but it, the vast majority of my experience, they just come after you. They just come after you. But if you maintain your peace, your calm, and you just keep asking questions, then you can you can plant some seeds. And what I tell them, I said, what you have to ask the atheist, okay, there is no God. Let, let's say that. So does your life, Mr. or Ms. Atheist, have meaning? Does it have a purpose? Oh, well, yeah, it has. I said, no, it doesn't. Because you are the product of mindless, random, just processes, biochemical processes that have no meaning. There is no purpose. Now, you might think your life has a purpose, but when you get down to it, you're thinking your life has a purpose. It's just the result of blind, random, meaningless, biochemical uh, stimuli. Mm -hmm. you know? and, and, and so, no, your life doesn't have meaning. You, as an atheist, and, and I, I ask him, what is love? Is there such a thing as love? Well, if there is, is no God, there really is no love because we're just animals, you know? Is there hate? Is there evil? There's no evil if there is no God, just like there's no good if there is no God. Why? Because we're just animals. You know, I, I asked him, I said, have you ever seen the, the nature films or the herd of antelope or crossing the river and a crocodile comes up and grabs a baby antelope? You go, oh, what an evil crocodile. No, you don't. Why? Because there's no morality in the animal kingdom. So if I were to kill you, Mr. Atheist, or you were to kill me, well, that doesn't mean it. That's not wrong because mm -hmm. there is no morality in the animal kingdom and we're just animals. What I do, I go up to the atheists, I ask them, I say, was what Hitler did to the Jews wrong? Was killing 6 million Jews in the concentration camps wrong? Every single atheist I've ever asked has said, yes, it was wrong. And I say, why? Well, you, you can't kill people. Why? Why? Exactly. You know, well, it, because it's it's wrong. Well, what? Why is it wrong? You know, it's survival of the fittest, and and Hitler felt like you know this was his morality, and he was following Darwin, Darwinism. You know, Darwinism, and, and uh, he he just felt the Jews weren't fit, or or the Poles, or the Russians, or the Gypsies, they weren't fit, so he was getting rid of them. That's nature. There's no right or wrong. No, these were people with so. They have no response other than their own subjective opinion. And you just tell them that and you keep telling them that no matter how you know resistant they are, you're planting a seed, you're making them think. And the other thing I tell them, I say, you know, you, Mr. Ms. Atheist, being the result of blind, random, meaningless chance, your life has no meaning, no purpose. What I find ironic is that I, the Christian, think more highly of you than you think of yourself. Because I, as a Christian, believe you are an invaluable child of God, loved from all of eternity and will be loved for all of eternity. And that you have a unique purpose and meaning in this life, that your life has meaning and purpose because you are a child of God. And you think that you're just blind, random, meaningless chance. I said, isn't that ironic that the Christian thinks more highly of you and values your life more than you yourself value your life? After you say like that, said, do they start choking on their goat milk latte, John? Well, well, 
Well, that's where it's, you know, you, you blankety blank, 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 blank. <laughs> John, we're going we're gonna, to, we're going to wind it down, John. Um, I would say this, the, uh, the, the, the response to that I thought was, was the slickest was when Christopher Hitchens was alive. And rather than address that, when they, when he was posed the question, why should, why should you do, uh, you know, it's the same question that you're asking. He said, I find it offensive that you think I need God to know right from wrong. And, and, and I was like, that's got to be the slickest answer from an atheist I ever heard because he didn't address the question. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> but we got to leave it there, That's John. That's what we're saying. John, final thoughts. Where can everybody find the book? Where could they buy it? More importantly, where can they find you on social media and elsewhere? Well, on Facebook, you can find me at John Martinoni and the Bible Christian Society. On my website, BibleChristianSociety.com. Again, I got 29 apologetics talks on on Mary, on the Bible, on, on the Pope, on all these questions that Catholics get, BibleChristianSociety.com. Everything there with one or two exceptions is free. Sign up for my newsletter. It comes out every couple of weeks or so. And then the book, Blue Collar Apologetics, can be found at EWTNRC for Religious Catalog, EWTNRC.com. If it's not popping up on the front page and just type in Blue Collar, and it'll take you right to it. Excellent. John Martignoni, thank you for being with the front line with Joe and Joe. We want to thank you all out there for joining us at the Veritas Catholic Radio Network. 1350 on your AM dial, spreading the truth of the Catholic faith to the New York metropolitan area. Please be sure to download the Veritas Catholic Radio Network mobile app so that you can have access to all of our station's content. And as we always ask, Joe and I, um, very uh, gratefully, because we get a lot of support out there, but please, the Frontline TV the Frontline TV on YouTube. We just passed 60,000 subscribers and we're trying to gain more there, more of a social media presence. So we thank you for that. Like, subscribe, share, do all that fun stuff. And remember, until the next time, that our conversation is your conversation. And that conversation is going on everywhere. We'll talk to you soon.